All right, good morning, everyone. We, are, um, we will be in Ecclesiastes 7 again this morning. If the Lord is um, working as I would like, then we'll be done with it today, but we'll see. Um, so last week, um, I said we need to keep the end in mind and choose what's better. And today we will be in Ecclesiastes 7, 11 to 29. Um, so let me pray and then we'll, uh, we'll get started. Father God, we thank you once again for the opportunity to be here, gathered together, to study your word, to look into what you have for us. And Father, I just pray that you would be the one to guide and direct, and um, Lord, speak through me the words that you desire, um, speak uh, in each one of our hearts the truth uh, that you desire to reveal to us. And uh, let our hearts be open. We thank you that you are the one who uh, is the one who enlightens your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Feels like we finally have heat in here because now I'm getting warm. <laughs> All right, so here's where we are. Um, the divisions as I came up with them anyway. Um, so 11 to 14, I say God's got it. 15 to 22, find the balance. And uh, 23 to 29, wisdom is not enough. So uh, let's go ahead and read verses 11 through 14. Wisdom, along with an inheritance, is good, and an advantage to those who see the sun. For wisdom is protection, just as money is protection. But the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the lives of its possessors. Consider the work of God, for who is able to straighten what he has bent? In the day of prosperity, be happy. But in the day of adversity, consider, God has made the one as well as the other so that man will not discover anything that will be after him. All right, so that first, that first verse, verse 11, wisdom along with an inheritance is good and an advantage to those who see the sun. Uh, so if, can you take that verse and tell me why the vast majority of lottery winners end up in worse shape after a short time? Can you look at that verse? and Exactly. Wisdom without an inheritance... If wisdom with an inheritance is good, wisdom without an inher or an inheritance without wisdom is bad, um, and not an advantage. So money is good. Money can be good. It's a good, it can be a good thing, but um, if we're unwise, it just runs through our fingers. And so that seems pretty obvious, right? Um, so it could be suggested that an, an inheritance or a windfall without wisdom is or at least could be a curse even. And we certainly see that oftentimes. Again, that's kind of the way we see things. Whether it's, whether it's inherit an inheritance, some people inherit money, and some people, you know, again, if you, if you ask why is it that lottery winners typically don't do well, do most wise people play the lottery? I think not. So, again, it kind of all works out. Um, all right, so verse 12, for wisdom is protection just as money is protection, but the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the lives of its possessors. So I think Solomon is making a case saying wisdom is more advantageous than money. He assumes that his audience already knows this, that they understand that money provides protection, because uh, that's what he's saying, just as money is protection. Um, how is money protection?
Yeah. Right, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it provides a roof over your head, puts food in your mouth. I mean, there's, there's some things about money that, that are good. Um, can money preserve or pres- prolong a person's life? Sure, in certain situations, yeah. If the heat is still on in here, I'd appreciate it if somebody turned it down because I'm getting warm. Um, so in certain situations, yes, you know, it can be, it can be uh, even prolonged life. I find it interesting that he links knowledge and wisdom here. Um, how can knowledge and wisdom help preserve life? Don't do dumb stuff. Yeah. You know, you don't go jumping off of cliffs and things that, you know. Um, I, heard, I heard somebody was talking about there was some guy who was um, doing one of these extreme sport kind of things, and they said he died in a freak accident. It's like, how do you call it a freak accident when he was doing something foolish to start with, you know? So anyway, um, Knowledge and wisdom can help preserve life. Verse 13, consider the work of God, for who is able to, strength, to straighten what he has bent? So at first blush, this, this seems like a truthful but odd statement to include here. Um, it's like, how does, this, how does this fit in? None of us would disagree. We all know that you can't undo what God wants done, and you can't do what God doesn't want done. We know those things. We recognize that. Um, but then as we go into verse 14, in the day of prosperity, be happy, but in the day of adversity, consider. God has made the one as well as the other so that man will not discover anything that will be after him. So now, once I read that, then I can see kind of how it starts to tie in. You can't undo what God has done, and God has made days of prosperity, and he's made days of adversity. So why is it important that we're aware of the fact that what God has done can't be undone, we can't do what he doesn't want, and that he has made days of prosperity and he's made days of adversity? Why is that important? Okay, yeah, a lot of it's about contentment. Um, yeah, it's it's being aware of the fact that God is in control of both the good and the bad. So we're not shocked, and we w- we're not worried. Um, we trust in God, and we know that he'll be with us through them both, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, she was saying it's like the, the disciples in the boat with Jesus wake him up and go, we're about to die. Don't you know what's going on here? Come on, God, wake up, you know. Things are bad. Um, very familiar verse again, uh, Romans eight twenty eight. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. So even when we, when we don't see the good, he knows the good. We don't always see how things are going to work out. So is that it? Does that kind of wrap it up? What about that last statement? So that man will not discover anything that will be after him. That's a really odd statement to me to stick in at the end of this verse. 
Um, and so I wrestled with that a lot. It's been on my brain a lot this week. Um, you know, I could, yeah. Right, right. And I think that this leader thing, that's not the way it works. Because otherwise you would start seeing more rumors about the Virgin Mary. Okay. That's the way I kind of see the whole thing work. Right. Because I think that's the attitude of the world in general. You know, if you do enough good, then you... Right, right. Yeah, yeah, I hear what you're saying. Um, I, I... I, you know, I just think about that. I could come up with a lot of, at the end of that verse, so that, you know, so this is the result. Um, a lot of statements to explain why God allows both prosperity and adversity, but I don't think I would have come up with so that man will not discover anything that will be after him. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you what I kind of came up with, um, and it probably ties in a little bit with what Kevin was saying, but... Um, Let's, first of all, let's look at some of the other places where Solomon said something similar. So uh, in Ecclesiastes here, uh, go back to chapter 2, verse 18. He says, Thus I hated all the fruit of my labor for which I had labored under the sun, for I must leave it to the man who will come after me. So it's that idea of someone's coming after me. And then chapter 3, verse 22 I have seen that nothing is better than that man should be happy in his activities, for that is his lot. For who will, who will bring him to see what will occur after him? And then 5, 18 through 20, the last few verses of that chapter. Here is what I have seen to be good and fitting, to eat, to drink, and enjoy oneself and all one's labor in which he toils under the sun during the few years of his life which God has given him. For this is his reward. Furthermore, as for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth, he has also empowered him to eat from them and to receive his reward and rejoice in his labor. This is the gift of God. For he will not often consider the years of his life because God keeps him occupied with the gladness of his heart. So I think, I think there's a key right in there. So let me just kind of sum it up as I see it, and you can pick it apart. Um, it seems that we are being told once again to live in the now. Live in the now. God gives us work to do that we are able to keep busy with and find contentment in. And he's able to prosper us in our work. The problem comes in this. Because we have the combination of our sin nature and the fact that we're made in God's image, um, we have this natural curiosity and we tend to wander off down other paths and um, chase after things that aren't beneficial. And I have to, when I start thinking about things like this, I remember one Sunday school lesson that I will probably never forget, and it was actually while we were in Portland working with the junior high group, and one of the dads of one of the junior high kids um, taught a lesson, and he had really just one point. And he said it over and over and over to where you couldn't forget it. Sheep are dumb. Sheep are dumb. We are an awful lot, lot like sheep. You give them plenty of good pasture and water and everything that they need, and pretty soon they're looking for something else. And we're a lot the same. So God gives us prosperity. 
He does those things. He allows us to have plenty of prosperity, but he knows that if he leaves us in our prosperity, we're going to get bored. We're going to start getting into mischief. Um, we'll start worrying about the future and how to protect what we have and who's going to get what, we're, what we have someday. Um, a lot of the things that he's been talking about through the book. Um, and so we're not focused on the now. We get focused on the future like stupid sheep. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, and, and I think, I really think that this verse 14 is kind of, I almost feel like it's, it's the crux of the book, but it certainly feels like it's the, the, the hinge for this chapter. Agreed. Um, so, the future belongs to the Lord. Let me put up Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and our sons forever that we may observe all the words of, the, of this law. So in God's providence and grace, he allows us to prosper, but he also gives us times of adversity really to keep us out of trouble, to keep us on that straight and narrow. Um, it may be part of the reason why he gave us work to do even before the fall is to keep us busy. And, and you know, even Jesus said, uh, you know, my father is working, I'm working, and even my father is working till now. So God, part of his character in, in creating us in his image was giving us work. Um, and I believe 11 and, verses 11 and 12 tell us that money is good, wisdom is better, but ultimately God is in charge, and a man's money and wisdom will only get, so, get him so far. So that's kind of how I sum that up. Anybody want to add, argue with me? Um, we'll go back to that one in a second. Did it make sense? Okay. All right. Yeah. Exactly. I keep thinking of that verse over and over as we're going through this. Yeah. Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah, when when Jesus when Peter's saying, "Well, what about John? You know, what's going to happen with him?" Don't worry about him. If I want him to be alive till the end, till I come back, great. Um, whatever. And I, every time I think of that story, I always think of uh, the, the Narnia books and Aslan saying to Lucy, why didn't you do what I told you? You know, yeah, nobody else was following. You know, don't be worried about what they're doing. You do what I've called you to do. And, and our, own, our paths are our own according to his wisdom. Um, the future belongs to the Lord. Um, so how are you doing with the, the prosperity or adversity God is allowing in your life? Are you being grateful for both? It's not always easy to be grateful for the adversity. But when we know that he's doing exactly what is best for us to help keep us focused on him and, he has, and the work that he has for us, sometimes that that can help. Sometimes it still is really painful. Porter? Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's a number of them. When you, and it, we've said this before, but it takes time to get out of that to be able to look back and see it. You know, it is really, really hard to see in the midst of the trial, in the midst of the struggle, what God is doing and what he wants to teach us. You know, you get to the other side of it and you go, oh my goodness, I see how he was there. I see what he did. But in the midst of it, it's just hard. Just really hard. Yes. Right. Right. Yeah, it takes faith is what she's saying. It takes faith to believe that good things can come out of these difficult times, these trials. And and God is refining us. He's making us more like Jesus who went through hell literally on earth in what he went through, you know, but he's making us like him. So let me put this last, uh, oops. It takes, it takes discipline, and we see it with our own children. We see it. We know that God is doing the same thing. Karen? Yeah. Mm. Say that. Read that again. Yeah, before I was afflicted, I, I went astray. It's that, it's that discipline. It's, that, um, it's the hard times that bring us closer to him. Absolutely. All right, we're moving on. Um, so chap- uh, verses 15 to 22, I titled, Find the Balance. So then it appears as if Solomon jumps right back into his normal discussion of wisdom and foolishness, or, but perhaps what he is doing is simply giving examples of the futility of how most people live their lives, and then taking from the truth of verse 14, telling us that we will be more content if we find the middle ground. So, verse 15, we're going to read 15 through 18. I've seen, sorry, I've seen that everything, I have seen everything during my lifetime of futility. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness, and there's a wicked man who prolongs his life in his wickedness. Um, Sorry, did I read that right? Okay, all right. In my head, I didn't. Um, Do not be excessively righteous, and do not be overly wise. Why should you ruin yourself? Do not be excessively wicked and do not be a fool. Why should you die before your time? It is good that you grasp one thing and also not let go of the other, for the one who fears God comes forth with both of them. So you may be aware of the fact that Solomon wrote the better part of a rather sizable book called Proverbs. I think we're all pretty good on that one. And in that book, he gives advice. He gives instructions on what is true. He tells how the world works, right? But in that book, he gives advice that is generally helpful, that is generally true, typically true in how the world works most of the time. But they're not certainties. It's not like if I do this every time, it's going to work out every single time. 
There's no guarantee that if you follow his advice, his teachings, that everything's going to work out perfectly. All this will come to pass. Everything's going to come up roses, um, all those things. And I think that's kind of what he's describing here. He's, he's already, this is, most likely he has already pretty much finished writing Proverbs. He's written down all of his Proverbs. And now he's later in his life and he's seeing these things. Um, and so he's, he argues both in Proverbs and here in Ecclesiastes that generally speaking, good behavior has good and profitable results and wickedness and foolishness in badly for the most part. But then here he says that he has seen good people die early and bad people live long lives. So he's basically saying it doesn't always work out that way. And I don't think it's inconsequential that he says this is what he has seen in his lifetime of futility, as Jim was saying. It's, he's seen this futility, and it's frustrating um, that things don't work out as he wishes they did in the way that Proverbs tends to say that they do. Um, if things did work out that way, life would feel less futile. Because you'd be, you know, if I can do this and end up with this result every single time, then, okay, I understand now, and I can, I can do things, and I can, you know, I know it's always going to work out that way. But he's saying it doesn't always work out that way. When you can do all the right things and still not have all the earthly circumstances fall into place for you, it feels futile. So why do you think he tells us not to be wicked. Um, sorry, hang on a second. So he, uh, sorry, he, we know why he tells us not to be wicked and foolish, but why do you think he tells us not to be overly righteous or wise? Pride, okay. Okay, acquiring truth. Sure. Right, right. And there's also the fact, I think he's kind of alluded to it, that the more you know, the less you feel like you know, which is true. I think, I think that um, he's telling us not to focus on either one, foolishness or righteousness or wisdom. But what we sh should we focus on instead? The Lord. We should be pleasing, focused on pleasing the Lord, walking with Him, hearing Him, talking with Him. Don't focus on wisdom or righteousness. Focus on Christ. Hebrews 12, 1-2, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, for who, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Don't focus on everything else. Focus on Christ. We're to fix our eyes on Christ, not on being righteous, not on being sinless. Yeah, we're told, we're told to lay aside our sin, the sin that entangles us, but never are we told to focus on our sin or even our sinlessness. Does that make sense? Yeah, Kevin? Yep. Right. Focus on just 
Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And again, that goes back to verse 14. And why do we have, why do we have difficulties? You know, why does he allow us to struggle with the things we don't understand? You know, to keep us humble, right? To put us in our place. Yeah, Jim. Right. Right. We make it difficult, don't we? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, verse 18 is another one of those ones that you go, what is he saying? Um, according to some of the commentaries I read, it's saying you hold on to both wisdom and righteousness. God will help you come through with both. It's a possibility, I suppose. But I, I believe it's more saying if we keep a proper focus on the Lord, then he will keep a, help us keep that correct balance in life so that we're not, because do you ever just feel like there's just the pendulum swinging back and forth and whether it's the things going on in our society or whether the things going in, on inside of me, it's, it's, you know, Jim, just like you're saying, these verses, it's pretty simple, but I swing back and forth and I never seem to be able to stay in that center place for very long. But it, it's when we focus on Christ, he keeps us centered. He keeps us where we need to be. I think that's kind of where that's going. Okay, uh, verses 19 through uh, 22. Wisdom strengthens a wise man more than 10 rulers who are in a city. Indeed, there is not a righteous man on earth who continually does good and who never sins. Also, do not take serious all words, seriously all which w- words which are spoken so that you will not hear your servant cursing you. For you also have realized that you likewise have many times cursed others. Um, so we don't have any problem with uh, verse 20, acknowledging that that's true, right? We know that no one is sinful, sinless. Um, no one is always righteous. Even those, who have been, those of us who have been declared righteous by God, we are not sinless. We know that. Now, sometimes we live as if we are the one righteous person in all the world. Um, but as soon as we want to jump on our high horse, then Solomon lets us stay on it for verse 21, I think. Um, you, we go, yeah, that stinking servant of mine, he's bad-mouthing me, and what a jerk, and I'm going to have to get, you know, I'm tired of this, I'm going to get rid of him. And then we go to verse 22. Oh, yeah, I do that too, don't I? You know, it's like, oh, I hate that guy. I am that guy, you know. Um, it's, it's just who we are. So I, I think this um, continues that idea of balance. Don't expect everyone to be perfect. You're not. Don't be shocked, dismayed, or judgmental when others aren't either. I'm not perfect. They're not perfect. You're not perfect. You know, that's who we are. I kind of skipped over verse, verse 19. Um, you know, I don't know. It, I'm sure there's a reason for it being there. I have, I'm having a little bit of a hard time with exactly why it's there. It feels a little bit like, to me, um, 
when in uh, James, James talks about, you know, he says, any man who can bridle his tongue is a perfect man. You go, oh, okay. And a few verses later, it says, nobody can bridle his tongue. So it's like, you know, it feels a little bit like that. Wisdom strengthens a wise man. So if a, if a man could be perfectly wise, or like when Jesus says, um, you know, if you had the faith the size of a mustard seed, you could tell this mountain to go jump in the ocean and it would, you know. Nobody, I've never seen that happen, you know, because we don't have that. So I feel like that's a little bit, you know, wisdom strengthens a wise man more than 10 rulers who are in a city. Um, if a man could be perfectly wise, he'd have all that. Um, so anyway, um, so in this section, the question I would ask is how, how is your balance? How, do, how is your life balance, not your, you know, physical balance, obviously? What do you expect of others? Are you, perfect, are you expecting perfection of others? Are you willing to submit to that standard as well? Because mostly we aren't. Mostly we want to hold other people to that standard and, and then I get away with, you know, whatever. And just think, yeah. Mm-hmm. That could be. Could very well be. Yeah. Like I say, I, I kind of went, well, I'm not sure where that one goes. So I'm good with that. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 I think you're on to something. Um, and I just thought about this, you know, remember, God is more committed to your righteousness than you are. God's more committed to your righteousness than you are. He was actually willing to die so we could be righteous. We want to be righteous. We desire it. We've been declared righteous, but we want to be able to say that we're living righteously. But God's the one who's more committed to our righteousness than we are because we, we fail at it, obviously. Um, any thoughts on that section before we move on? I didn't ask as many questions today, so we're actually moving along. <laughs> All right. Um, I'm going to go ahead and read yeah, the rest of the chapter, verse 23 on. I tested all this with wisdom, and I said, I will be wise, but it was far from me. What has been is remote and exceedingly mysterious. Who can discover it? I directed my mind to know, to investigate, and to seek wisdom and an explanation, and to know the evil of folly and the foolishness of madness. And I discovered more bitter than death the woman whose heart, excuse me, the woman whose heart is snares and nets, whose hands are chains. One who is pleasing to God will escape from her, but the sinner will be uh, captured by her. Behold, I have discovered this, says the preacher, adding one thing to another to find an explanation, which I am still seeking, but have not found. I have found one man among a thousand, and I have not found a woman among all these. Behold, behold, I have found only this, that God made men upright, but they have sought out many devices. All right, so we got some interesting verses in there. So it seems to me like in these, when, when Solomon talks about, I tested all this um, and said, I will be wise, but it's far from me. 
Um, I directed my mind to know all these different things. It seems like Solomon is talking about educating himself. As I read through that, it's kind of what seems to be what he's saying. Um, apart from seeking God and his wisdom, these are just the things that he, how he tried to educate himself, tried to make himself wiser. I tested all this. I said, I will be wise. It was far from me. I directed my mind to know, to investigate. I discovered. I'm still seeking. I have not found, you know, all these different things. Um, Yeah. Right, right. And I really do, yeah, I really do kind of suspect that Ecclesiastes is almost his way of saying, I wish I'd have asked for something different. You know, yes, I'm grateful for the wisdom and I'm thankful that I was able to lead this people, but, you know, I almost wish I would have asked God, give me a heart that never strays from you. You know, that's, that should be the desire of our hearts. And, and we tend to long for earthly things. You know, and so he's, he's concerned himself with, and, and it, again, it, it, his, what he requested from God was a good thing. It, was from, it came from a good place. You know, he desired to be able to lead Israel well, you know. And so, again, it came from a good place. But I think looking back in his life, he's saying, yeah, it was nice to be wise. It was nice to have riches. It's nice to have all these things, but, you know, I had, what if my heart had been fully God's? What would that have been like? Right. Yeah. 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 And I think he's, you know, I think he's telling us that. He's being honest. He's saying, these are all the things I did. Um, so, yeah. Um, yeah, it just really seems like he had an earthly focus rather than a godly focus, and I, I, I think maybe this is kind of his way of expressing, I wish I'd have done something different. Um, so in, rever- in regards to verse 26, it seems certain that in his harem of a thousand women, he would have come across at least one or two women who were only trying to ensnare him. So I, I think he had some personal experience with that um, as the pretty much the richest man, certainly in the region, um, most powerful, all these kind of things, there were certainly those who would have tried to ensnare. Um, For that last part, I put up in the Amplified um, because it helps to maybe clarify some things. He says, I have found one man among a thousand who pleased God, who pleases God, but I have not found such a woman among all these, a thousand in my harem. Behold, I have found only this as a reason. God made man upright and, and uncorrupted, but they, both men and women, have sought out many devices for evil. So I think, and, and in reading commentaries, and they're all over the place on this, um, so you either decide which one you're going to uh, latch on to, or you say, Lord, give me direction here. Um, but no, I appreciate the fact that, that really Solomon finally settles that men are more righteous than women. So I'm glad he got... We, no, that's that's clearly not what he's saying. I don't think that's what he's saying. I think what he's getting at is, 
out of 2,000 people, I found one person that you could potentially call righteous. Out of this large sampling of people, I came up with one person that maybe could be considered righteous. And if you found a different collection of 2,000 people, you might not come up with anybody. You might come up with one woman. I don't know. But, but he's saying, and certainly it seems like, it, it does seem that there is a connection between the 1,000 women and the fact that, you know, in 1 Kings, it talks about he had 1,000 wives and, and concubines. Um, so it's, it seems like maybe there's a connection there. And I think he's too close. You know, and as he's saying, I'm, I've been with these thousand women uh, in all these different circumstances, and none of them are righteous, you know. Yeah. Right. Right, exactly. And then I do wonder, um, I wonder who the one man is. And I wonder if he's speaking of himself. And not necessarily in a prideful way, but maybe talking about what, we're, what we've been talking about is that we tend to justify ourselves. I don't know. I may be grasping at straws here, but I just go, why does he come up with this, I found one in a thousand? Uh, what's that? Could have been his father. Yeah, could have been David. He could have been talking about him. I don't know. Um, but anyway... Um, Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and I think he is regretting it. I think he. I think he's looking back and going, "This was not, you know, um, you know, and 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 why were they not righteous? How much of it's his fault? You know, I mean, what what part did he play in that?" Um, God created us upright. He, caught, he created us righteous, but we have turned away. We've sought our own ways to try to find peace, joy, love, contentment, hope, goodness, etc. We haven't, we haven't taken what he's given Why does God allow us to prosper? Because he's the best father. He's a great father. What's that? And to bless others. Yeah, he, I think he does it for us as well, you know, for sure. He, he, he's, it's his way of showing us his love. Um, but why does he allow adversity? Why does he allow our loved ones to die? Why doesn't the ground cooperate when we want to grow things? Certainly doesn't for me, but I don't try very hard either. <laughs> Why do we um, misunderstand one another and get angry? Why do we have to deal with the results of other people's selfishness? Why do they have to deal with ours? The answer ultimately is sin. That's the one that we're familiar with. That, that's what we're used to. It's because we're sinners, right? We're living around sinners. We're born into sin, and that's the only, you know, absolutely. There, that is true, but there's more. 
I do think that God wants to keep us on task. He knows that if life is always peachy, then we're going to start looking where we shouldn't be. He knows we need to work. He knows we need to be kept busy. It is the glory of God to conceal a matter, the glory of kings to research out a matter. Um, I stuck that one in, and yeah, maybe. Um, But I think sometimes the, the king is searching for things and it gets him in trouble because the king has time on his hands to do things like that, where the rest of his people are having to work and, and do the things that need to be done. Kevin? Right. As it is about, I think it's a contrast between the human condition and God's condition. Okay. That's what I think yep. it is. And I think that that comes back from, you know, the, the, the fire of wheat in the, in the beginning right. gained wisdom. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. uh, knowledge. Sure. Good and evil. Yep. And I think it's in the name, in the actual names of where man and man come from. Man is the Israeli, you know. Okay. Right. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. 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 Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And not try and figure everything out. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 I think I think it fits in there. It's it's yeah. Um, yeah. Mavis. Yeah, I think it just comes back to, you know, what's our focus? Um, are we content with where the Lord has us? You know, are we, are we enjoying what he's given us today? Are we focused on the future, you know, or are we focused on living what he has for us today? Um, I think I mentioned this before, but my mom, my mom would have said, you know, are, are we borrowing trouble? You know, are we looking to the future trying to figure out what to do? how we're going to figure these things out. Um, and it's like, the Lord, is, the Lord is here. He's right now. He's, he's with us in these moments, and He's directing us in each moment. Um, he's available for us in each moment. Uh, I, I do think that I hadn't really thought about it as much, and, and it kind of came out this morning, but I, I really do think, you know, are we, are we focusing on... Um, like Kevin's saying, are we focusing on worldly wisdom? Are we f- focusing on, you know, trying to figure out how to get through life um, in the best way possible for the most, um, you know, or are we focused on Christ? And I think that's what I think that's what Solomon would have told us: is I wish I would have been more focused on the Lord and not so much on all these other things. Any other thoughts? Comments, questions?
any rotten fruit you want to throw or anything like that? Jay? Go ahead, Jay. Why? Well, I, I think that he's, yeah. I'm, I'm starting to think through it still. Because it is, it's a lot to digest. Yeah. Right, right. I think, I think um, in hindsight, maybe a good place to go with this is back to Proverbs. Where, it talk, where he talks about um, the, the, the harlot, but he also talks about wisdom being a woman, you know, a, a, in a feminine sense. So I think there could be some, some parallels there. Um, we don't have time, so we won't, but Karen? Right. Right. Yes. Maybe. I don't know. That's an interesting study for your own time. Dan, real quick. Right. Right. Yeah, he did play the fool with his wisdom. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. 
yeah, he was a great man, but he, you're right. If he'd have done like Christ and the will of the Father, make that my, my focus. One more. Yeah, Noah? Right. 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 Well, and, and you think about, you know, Solomon says in Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so asking for wisdom isn't really a bad thing. So he just let his humanity get in the way and did what he wanted to do. He was selfish, sinful, and we're out of time, so I'm going to pray. <laughs> Father God, thanks for today. We thank you for, again, for this opportunity to look through your word, Lord.